I'm Victoria Vredevog, USA National Miss Palm Desert, and this is my interview with The Pageant Project. Hello everyone, it's Adrian from The Pageant Project and my special guest for today is Victoria Vredevog, who is USA National Miss Palm Desert 2023. Victoria, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, Adrian, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so happy to be here. This is great. I'm doing great. And yourself? I am doing well. I mean, it's eight in the morning over here in Sydney, Australia. What time is it for you? It is 3 p.m. here. Okay. Hopefully it's not too early. Are you a morning bird or? I I, I do oh. what whatever whatever the world needs me to do. I will wake up. So I am the I'm not early bird or night owl at the moment. I am permanently exhausted pigeon. I'm I'm the one that's in the middle. I haven't been getting the greatest sleep. I'm actually looking at getting like a white noise machine to see if that helps <gasps> that soothe me life. to sleep. Oh, you I got one, do you? I do. I fall asleep to white noise every single night, and my audiobook changes your life. It's weird, isn't it? Like some people need complete dead silence to fall asleep. I find it much easier to fall asleep when there's some noise in the background. I don't I understand too. why. Um, I'll have to get some um, recommendations for white noise machines <laughs> off of you um, when, when we jump off here. But before, I mean, the first question I have to ask. This is a silly question. How many times have you had to explain to people how to pronounce your surname? Too many times to count at this point. There's only been actually one person and I've ever met who has said my name correctly without me having to pronounce it phonetically. And she's still my best friend right now um, because okay. she grew up in South Africa. And Afrikaans is very similar to the Dutch, Dutch. language. So she knew how to say it right away. And I was like blown away because growing up, I was always wondered. I was like, is this actually how my last name is pronounced? Because like, I don't really know. It's just, you know, passed down from my my dad. Yeah. Um. So I haven't met my grandparents on that side and I've never been to the Netherlands. So I always wonder. But she said it right. So I guess I guess that is the correct pronunciation of my last name. So, yeah. <laughs> is, I guess. Um, is... Have, is it on the bucket list to go to the Netherlands at all, given that your name is Dutch? Yes, I've always dreamed. I've never been to Europe, but I've always dreamed of going to Amsterdam um, and visiting Holland. And I, I will one day, um, hopefully. So we'll see. But I, I do want to go. Okay. Because I've, I've interviewed uh, a couple of Dutch queens and I was asking them, because, you know, the stereotypes when it comes to the Netherlands, one is everyone bikes everywhere. The other one is clogs. The other one is windmills, and the other one is tulips. Tulips, um, <laughs> yep, yeah. Much. And apparently, the the biking one is very, very true. Everybody bikes everywhere. But uh, then she was, "Are you a sweets person? Do you have a sweet tooth at all?" Um, a little bit, but not really, honestly. Oh wow. Okay, that's weird. Um, we should probably dig into that. But she was telling me all about this Dutch sweet, which is called a stroopwafel. That's how good my Dutch pronunciation is. What is that? A waffle? It's a waffle, but it's basically coated in caramel syrup, and you oh. eat it, and you probably will have diabetes straight away. But apparently, <laughs> apparently, it's it's delicious. You don't have a sweet tooth. What's wrong with you? You're very unusual in the pageant world. To, to, well, I, unusual I, as a girl. I don't know. I 
if I if you were to put like a piece of cake in front of me versus like literally anything else like pasta steak anything that's savory I will always pick the savory item like sometimes I want dessert like maybe but most of the time like I don't need it the only thing that I crave sugary is my coffee ah okay let's get into this so um (laughs) you're an author I'm an author in wildly different fields and um, so for yourself, given although your book is a lot longer than mine, <laughs> my, my, I mean, size doesn't matter. I think mine was like 10,000 words. Yours is 120,000, um, you know. Yes. But how, how much time have we spent, how much time have you spent in a cafe with your coffee writing a book? So for me, I actually did do that. As stereotypical as it is, I just found something therapeutic about getting out of the house. I found it more creative, take my laptop, get a coffee, just sit by myself, chill out for a while, and then start typing. Are you the same? I am the exact same way. I 100% agree. I love going to the coffee shops. And I also like hopping too. So when I was really writing full time, um, I would start my day at a coffee shop when I felt like I was getting tired and need a break. I would drive over to like the Barnes and Noble Cafe, which I know isn't in Australia, but it's like a bookstore cafe um right there but if i'm home yeah i don't have like the motivation i guess but when i'm at the coffee shop yeah i have my drink i feel so cute like got the laptop out you know what i mean like the aesthetics the music (laughs) and i could just type away for hours like i would write for hours so i don't i acutely the amount of time spent in a coffee shop writing was probably days days and days and months do do you think you've made enough back in book royalties to pay for all the coffees that you purchased whilst writing the book? <laughs> Thankfully, yes, I have. Yay. Um, so it, it all worked out. Um, yeah. And thankfully, um, my sales still are continuing to progress, which is great. Um, I've been able to keep momentum. Of course, you know, when you first publish your novel, you think the peak of your sales is going to be your release week or your release, release. month. Yeah. Um, and it really was, but I actually hit my highest point in sales uh, just a couple weeks ago, which was really oh, wow. interesting. I was number 11 in fantasy on Amazon, which is like my highest ranking on the bestseller list. So really okay. crazy, which is like, what? Because you think it would go down, but the power of word of mouth, the power of social media, seriously marketing all of that but also i mean we have to say the power of actually writing a good book because people wouldn't be reading it if it wasn't a good book i mean i um the book that i wrote is non-fiction it hit number one on amazon but it was there for (gasps) like amazing it it was there for like i think not even a week it was it was spike and then afterwards it was crickets completely so um I, you can see, we can see your book behind you. We've got to say it. So it's A Legend yes. of Golden Shadows. Yes, and I can grab it real quick. Please don't fall off your chair whilst you're grabbing it. Okay. <laughs> I might be, oh, my ring light's a little, there we go. This is it. All right. So you have to tell, tell me more about this book. I'm not, I haven't read, I don't think the last, I can't remember the last time I read a fantasy book. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I can, it's, um, the inside cover is different from, the that's cool dust sheet the dust, or the dust, the dust jacket, jacket. whatever you yeah. want to call it yeah so that's fun i love it i hard copy wasn't out until just a couple months ago so this is like a special release that i did with barnes and noble but sorry the summary that's what you're asking for um yeah 
Man, I always have such a difficult time with this question because how do you really summarize Summarize 120,000 words in one minute and go. (laughs) Okay, well, it is a fantasy romance novel. And the biggest trope in this book that people love and one of the main reasons that they read it is because it's an enemies to lovers trope. Biggest comparison would be Pride and Prejudice, enemies to Mm -hmm. lovers. Um, But it follows a female assassin who lives in a world with two different kinds of magic. So there's people with golden blood um, who are able to use their craft or their power, whatever, um, to heal your bones, basically healing magic, but that same kind of magic can also harm you, right, with the touch of your hand. Only problem is you can't heal yourself, right, and you can't restart the heart. So the other kind of magic is called shadow blood. Those people are really stealth, agile, quick. They can do what's called lanu, where they can turn into the shadows and go through walls. Um, it's very, very rare. Okay. This type of artist, well, there's only like mm, 12, 20 people in the kingdom who have this type of craft. Um, and they're seen as blessed by the stars. However, this rebellion clan does not believe that crafters should be the ones who are ruling over all of the mortals, considering everybody is mortal besides Mm -hmm. them um so that ends up being a huge rebellion there's a banished prince who comes back there's a secret kingdom hidden identities betrayals um it's a very fast-paced book i always recommend it to people who are wanting to either a get into fantasy um because the world building is fast it's easy to follow where a lot of times in fantasy books like the first half of the book you're like trying to memorize all these names and places yeah. and locations. And it's like, I can't keep track. So this is good for that. And it's also good to get you out of a reading slump. Like if you're like, I love reading, but I just like can't get into a book. It's really fast paced. Yeah. So it's, it's a good recommendation if you're looking for something like that. Well, next time I'm on a long flight, I, I will have to get your book and read it. Also, there's something different about reading an actual book, like physically holding mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, your I think your book is available on Kindle as a mine. Yes. But I, if I really want to get a book, I will get it like paperback or hardback. For me, it's just not the mm-hmm. same reading it on Kindle. Um, there's so many questions I have, but the first one is trope. Now, I've heard the word before. What does trope mean? Because to me, it seems like it's a theme or is it a mini theme? Is that accurate? Um, yes and no. So it's not necessarily a theme. It's more of, I would say, a scene. So for example, if we're staying in the genre of fantasy, um, Mm -hmm. corrupt king would be a trope. You see Mm -hmm. a corrupt king, like a a crazy king in a lot of different books, movies, like it's a pretty reoccurring theme. Um, mentor. Yep. Sort of like a princess and the mentor, right? You see yeah. that reoccurring in a lot of movies um, and books and TV series. That would be considered a trope. Something that, okay. you know, is, yeah, you can find a lot. and But they're not like the same, if that makes sense. But it's like, I don't know. Does that make sense? Like It does. It, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll have to read to, to find out more. But it, it sounds interesting that when you were describing your book, I'm getting... A lot of like there have been a big a lot of fantasy movies um come out i mean you've got you've had superhero movies come out not that they're really fantasy but some of them delve into magic and then you've had um wizardry movies obviously magic movies and then what you were describing because i i do do some gaming it sounds a lot like some gaming 
worlds, yes. the way they build it up. And when you were describing like the first clan, the Golden Bloods, I think you said that sounds mm -hmm. like a healing kind of class. Yes. And the other one is kind of like the the stealth and phasing through walls. Yes. It sounds mm -hmm. it sounds really interesting. I have to ask, like, how did you? I want to I want I want to get into how you actually wrote it, what the process was. But how did you get into this? in the first place because writing 120,000 words I don't want to know how long that took because you talk about writing the first draft and if it's 10,000 words first draft is something if it's 120,000 words that's something else but how did you how on earth did you get into writing fantasy in the first place uh you know it's interesting so I've always been a huge reader ever since mm -hmm. I was 12 years old like I fell in love with reading and my dream was always to be an author like you know, when you're a kid and they ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I want to be an author. Um, however, that dream slowly died the older I got and I kind of just let it go and never thought that that would be me. Like sometimes when I look at this, I'm like, I wrote this. I'm like, that's yeah. so weird. Like, huh? Um, how did this happen? Anyways, but it's interesting because I was sitting at a receptionist job for a salon. And at that point, I just worked the salon alone. So I opened and closed. It was just me. Now it's not the computer. And bam, 400-page fantasy novel idea came into my head. And for the next four hours, I just wrote out the outline, like 10 pages of beginning to end, what was going to happen, all the characters I wanted, tropes I wanted to insert in there, who was going to be the traitor at the very end, what mm -hmm. was the plot to us, just in one sitting. Um, which still is really crazy because for this novel, I planned everything out. Even after I had that 10 pages, I went chapter by chapter. I knew it was going to happen. Where in the sequel that I'm writing right now, I'm doing more of a freestyle writing, which means okay. I write as it comes, right? Yeah. Which is like scary, but fun because it's yeah. ever changing. And I get feedback from my readers now, not necessarily feedback, but um their guesses of what's gonna happen in the second yeah. book and i'm like oh interesting <laughs> I, I'm like, that's a good idea <laughs> right um so i true i if i had the answer i would give it to you i always say it's god gave me the idea for this book because it truly just came out of nowhere i've always been a fan of fantasy but the idea to write just came on a dime don't know wow Okay, I, I've heard of similar stories to that. I think Sylvester Stallone, who you know, who wrote Rocky, the the um, the idea for that just hit him one day, and he wrote it in twenty four hours in the script for an entire movie. And then obviously, it did really, really well. I think it's had six or seven Rocky movies, and everyone knows who Sylvester Stallone mm -hmm. is. Um, fantasy, though, because I know a lot of people who have wanted to become authors, and then there's a few who have become published authors. But I think you're the first one who's actually written uh, fiction. The first author I've talked to who's written a fiction book that's not just children's fiction. I don't mean that, you know, to dismiss it. But a children's book is a completely different beast to writing a 120,000 fantasy book. So how did you get into the fantasy world? Um, fantasy has just always been my thing. Like, I've always been a huge lover of Harry Potter and what's Shadowhunters or Sarah J. Mass is a really popular fantasy author. I've always been compelled towards magic and this new world because I always felt like I was, it sounds like cliche, but like meant for more. Like I always mm. had this desire to 
go on quests and to go on adventures and to live out of the norm and the mortal space. Um, so that is really why um, that there is no other reason besides that. I knew that if I was to write a fiction novel, it would be fantasy because that's what I love mm -hmm. to read. So my book is really, I wrote everything I've ever wanted to read in a book. Like if I was to wow, okay. think of a book yep. that I was like, I need a book with this, 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 this would be my dream book. That's the book that I wrote. Right. Okay. So you wrote, you wrote a book that basically you would enjoy from the sounds of it. You would enjoy yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Did you say there's an audio book version of it? Oh, I am working on that. I want an audio. I do listen to audiobooks because I have a long commute to work. Yeah. But I don't have an audiobook version for this quite yet. I I kind of want to finish the series and then start the audiobook process because I want to okay. keep the same narrator for all three novels. Yeah. Um so we'll see. I've also thought of Okay, spoiler alert to anybody who reads my book, but in the next book um, it's going to be multi POV. So I wanted to explore having a male like audio narrator and a female audio narrator to like dual narrate the wow. book, which would be really cool. Okay. So I'm holding that, that, off that. for now until it's complete. Yeah, because um, I've had some experience recording audio books and nor at least with nonfiction, you try to get the author to read their own book. Um, in, in the fantasy genre, is it the same thing? Or do you get like different narrators to narrate different parts? Is it more like a movie in that in that sense? It is a little bit more like a movie in the sense where with fiction, it's with audio narrators, it's, it's like mm. acting. So yeah. for every character that is speaking, the narrator has to differentiate their voice just enough to where the listener can know which character is yeah. speaking, right? Yeah. Um, which is hard. I thought about narrating my own book and I attempted it and it was terrible. I'm not gifted in that way. I don't have the voice for that. So I will be hiring a professional uh, to do the audiobook version for this because it truly is so well done in fiction if the author, or sorry, not the author, if the narrator is talented in that way because you can close your eyes and it really is like, a movie with the way that yeah. they're able to change their voice and their animation um, and their acting skills and their emotions. It's incredible. And I really want that. And I, I want it to be done great the first time. So I want to pick someone. I have somebody in mind and we've okay. connected a little bit, but we'll see in the future. So it's not going to be you reading it. You, you're giving that a Heck go and no. it's not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, 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 I mean, well, I'm curious as to, as to what happened because a lot of people think, oh, yeah, reading a book is not that difficult. You've already pointed out some of the difficulties. But the other thing is it's actually very tiring to read a book. Like if even if you read for an hour, you're constantly speaking, and that's not natural because normally in conversation you don't just keep speaking the whole time. So you can get a bit of a sore throat very quickly, like vocal fatigue is a real thing. What, what happened when you, I mean, did you just like iPhone five minutes and then go, oh my God, that, I can't stand the sound of my voice. So did you give it more of a, more of the college try, so to speak? It, it was more of the, um, not necessarily the length, but the changing of my character voice, because I was trying okay. to like, you know, sound like a, sound like a man in one part. Oh and God. I was like, 
this is giving me the ick right now. I do not sound, <laughs> I do not sound like a prince. Like this isn't good. <laughs> so that is what I knew when I listened back and I was like, wow, if I was listening to this book, I would immediately stop listening um, if I was the narrator. So yeah. Okay. Then I have to ask, cause if you have female and male characters in the book, then neither a male narrator nor female narrator could really effectively do both. Is that why you said you were looking at multiple POVs? Correct. But I have heard very there's there are talented narrators out there that just can do both. And it sounds completely really? normal. Yes. Like they're wow. I forget the term for these narrators in like um animated films. I know there's a certain term for it, but I can't remember. Yeah, but, I'm um they are seriously gifted like they know how to change their voice completely where it sounds almost like legitimately two different people um wow, okay. I, it's amazing but for the next novel depending on which character's pov that chapter is from if it is a male character's pov i would want it to be from the male narrator and vice versa okay um how much time did you spend trying to do a prince voice, like a male voice. I'm, I'm interested in to know what the preparation for Victoria trying to sound like a dude was, basically. Uh, ten seconds. <laughs> <laughs> that was all the time it took for me to know that I am not talented in this, <laughs> in this category. <laughs> I didn't need I mean, to attempt anymore because I just knew. I just knew, okay? I was like, no more of this. I mean, I know that some pageants have ta talent sections and I'm just thinking, you know, it could be an interesting talent to go up on, on stage and basically say something in a male voice. I mean, look, I'm sure your prince is much more attractive listening to that than my princess voice would be. I mean, with my voice, trying to sound like a princess is not, is just, is not going to work. I, I honestly don't know, Adrian. I might have you beat. It was pretty bad. It was, it was pretty rough, so... Can you can can you give us a no no a, 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 I let's I don't even know I probably I was like trying to do a deep like there you go like I was like like I was trying to talk like this but I couldn't like hold it out for so long because it's so deep in my throat <laughs> and it like hurts after a while right I was like how did these narrators do this for hours couldn't do couldn't <laughs> I just had this image of you like in front of the microphone recording your audio book and then pulling all these like fun like I'm speaking like this and yes yes that's literally it yeah <laughs> okay all right so audiobook narrator is not not on the cards but you said you started writing the sequel and you're going about it a completely different way now I was speaking to well, behind the scenes she hasn't announced it publicly but she's writing a I think it's a, you call it fantasy or magic. I don't want to get the two genres mixed, mixed up, but she's writing a fantasy slash magic book. And she was saying one of the big problems for her, what she hates is um, when the magic, when the magic has these rules in it that are all muddled up. So what she really didn't like is you get to the end of the book or 400 pages in, and then suddenly you find out this rule about the magic that these people who are supposedly magic users just didn't know at the beginning. So she doesn't like it when things don't make sense. I guess you could call it plot, like plot gaps. Uh, plot um, hole. That's what plot it's hole. called. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you're, so obviously when you write the book as you did the first one and it came to you and you can sort of structure it out, I would imagine it's easier to see the, the plot holes or the plot gaps. But when you're writing the second one, you said it's kind of like freestyle. 
is it a challenge to make sure you don't have the plot holes? It's it would have been more of a challenge. I feel like if it was my first book, but since yeah. it's my second book and I'm already so well versed in the world and the characters, I don't think it will be as big of an issue. Um, however, there were still plot holes in my first novel before I was published. Yeah. Um, even with the planning of everything out, because it is so many pages and so many words. And like, yes, yeah. I, I wrote that entire thing, but I don't have it memorized. There are things that I forget when I go back and like, oh, shoot, I totally forgot that I added that part in there and I need to circle it back somehow. And what really helped me with that process of catching those, because there's some things I didn't catch and some mm. things I think, and eh, the reader's not really going to think about that too much. Oh. Um, but they, they will. Do. Yep. <laughs> and I had wonderful, amazing, incredible beta readers from across the world who um, read my novel in its roughest draft. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a Google Doc, and they would comment right on the doc their thoughts and feelings. They weren't editors, so it wasn't like yep. they weren't there to grammar anything. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, how did this chapter make you feel? Did you catch a plot hole? Um, yeah. Were you hoping for more? Was this too much? Did this make you cry? Did this make you laugh? Um, and that helped tremendously because they yeah. caught things that I didn't because they're looking at it from a different perspective. Mm. And I was able to fix all of those before the final publication. Um, I, I want to ask about the, the process of writing the book because you just identified you had beta readers, which for a lot of people who don't know, it's like, so you get early access to the book and the idea is that you give feedback to the author and the author in turn can write an even better book. Um, I mean, writing a book is one thing. Writing a book that sells is a completely different beast. It's like you can create the best book in the world. No one hears about it. No one's ever going to buy it. Um, but the other thing is writing a book to me seems, especially the book you wrote or any book, I think is extremely personal. It's kind of like your baby, right? You put so much time into it. And then unlike a baby, I hope for most people, you put it out into the world, like you put it in front of the beta readers. And if they're giving you honest feedback, sometimes it can be pretty tough because you feel like you wrote something, you really enjoyed it. And the readers just say, you know, I didn't like this. And then Amazon reviews obviously is a thing. Um, you, you put your book on Amazon and you get mostly great reviews. And there's always one person who's just like, this is the worst thing possible. This was stereotyped. This was stolen from somewhere else. They don't get their facts from anywhere and they just give you a terrible, terrible review. So how has it been putting putting a work that I imagine is so deeply personal to you and you hold close to your heart? How has it been putting that out in public for people to read, but also to critique? Mm. You know, honestly, I feel like pageants sort of prepared me for that because in pageantry... <laughs> I put myself out there to be judged. Same thing with this novel. It's a little different because you're right. It's my work and I want it to be so great. And mm -hmm. Goodreads is like my personal hell. I don't know if you know what Goodreads, Goodreads. is. It's yes. A, I don't log in very often, but yes, I know. Uh, it is, and that is not a place for the author to be. Because I think I, I don't know how many reviews I have on there. Like, I don't know, like 600 or something, maybe 700, 800. I, I yeah. don't know. I, I try not to check. But people on there are ruthless and oh, yeah. say 90% of my reviews are great, right? Yeah. Or, and then 10% I'll have like, four, you know, two stars or whatever. And then 5% mm. or whatever, you know what I mean? And there's like a few people who are one stars. I was starting when I 
first published my novel and I got like my first couple one star reviews, yeah. it crushed me. Like I thought yeah. about it for hours and hours afterwards. And what I was doing was I was weighing so much and focusing so much on these one star reviews that mm. these amazing five star reviews of people who truly enjoyed my book, who found joy out of reading it, who helped them mm. fall in love with the genre of fantasy, I was almost disregarding it. And I just like turned a shoulder to it and was hyper-focusing on the negative reviews yep. when it's really not fair. Because if you think about it, like I can't ride the highs of highs and you know ride the lows of lows. I just have to see it for what it is. And keep in mind that there are so many people that do love my book. And the thing is, a great book, not everybody's going to love. Just like with yeah, movies. Exactly. If it's written yep. well, people are going to hate it because there isn't one movie or one book that every no. single person in the world is going to enjoy. Same thing with the characters. Someone's going to love this character and there's going to be someone who hates it, right? And that's when you know it's written well because it does cause these conflicting feelings in the readers. So I take it with a grain of salt at this point. If yep. there is constructive, there I have had some when they're not like, why did this author write this book? This is terrible. She should quit her career, um, which is yep. not helpful. And it doesn't really turn a reader away either. But some are constructive. Um, and some are also helpful because my book is more to, helpful to the potential readers because like, oh, yeah. this book isn't really like new adults, a little more young adults, like just beware readers, which I like understand because you know okay. what, if someone's yeah. looking for more of an adult book and they see that and they're like, okay, that's not what I look for. I don't want to read that. Like I would rather that be it. Um, but some of them sure. are constructive to where I, I look at that. I'm like, you know what? That is true. I'm going to take that and apply it to my second novel and hopefully okay. improve from that. Okay, but it, it, it's got to be pretty rough reading those. I mean, I'm only guessing. I mean, you, I, get I you to answer for yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm not talking about the constructive ones. Like similarly to yourself, I mean, I put a lot of stuff and content out there, books, courses, and if someone has a mm -hmm. constructive criticism, that's one thing. But it's right. when someone I don't know if you ever had a review that's like the worst review, like one star or no stars, and they don't write anything. It's kind of just like. I, I wrote a course on publishing a book and it's got like 95, 96, 98% great reviews and it's doing really well. And then one person, and it's the same as what you said, you get the one star review and you're out of nowhere and your eyes go straight to it, even though you've got 999 five star <laughs> yes. reviews. And the person just gave it one star out of five and the comment was boring. Yeah. I just, I don't understand critiques like that. I mean, when you read something like that, do you actually think it's a critique or do you think it's someone who's just, I kind of feel sorry for them because someone who would yes. take the time to actually get a book or buy a course and then leave a nasty review that's got no feedback in it other than like boring or waste of time. I kind of right. feel sorry for them now. I do too. And I I always think the same thing when I see reviews like that where I'm like, okay, this and sometimes i'll check their profile and i'll look and literally their entire page yeah. is just negative reviews exactly like, yeah okay yeah. so they were never going to give me a positive review in the first place so i'm just going to kind of disregard this because their intent yeah. is to like be mean and some people yeah. in the world are just like that and there's some reviews in my book where people write novels of a, of a bad review just <laughs> slamming me personally as an author not even yeah. like the book itself but like it's critiquing me as like an individual where I'm just like, <laughs> great. 
Like, who even are you? Like, you, you bought my book. They probably didn't even buy it. Exactly. They probably pirated it off of the internet. Probably. So I'm like, you yeah. didn't even buy this book. You read, you read, you sat down and read 400 pages of this book. So clearly it was good enough for you to finish and read 400 pages worth um, just for you to write this thing in because people are also attracted to negativity. If you think like, videos that go viral yeah. stuff it's like things yeah, i hate about this ones. right right yeah they will and people yeah. are going to click it and they're going to clickbait it and that's just the way it is so it is what it, it is it's, it's part of being an author right sometimes it's good like hey look my first negative review i have the experience of <laughs> I, I, full experience yeah i I just think like, I, d I don't know how much you speak to budding authors or people who want to follow in your success, but I imagine you speak to a lot of them. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions as to what it's really like to be an author. I mean, in the first place to get published, even if you self-publish, whatever it is, and that's what I've done, I've self-published, that is no simple feat. And I know because I, I do courses on how to get published. And even though people will pay me for the course, maybe like 5%, 10% actually even finish the course and then get published. And we're talking children's books here, like 24 pages, maybe 100 words. And it's still difficult for them. And then once you get past it and you actually published, to even sell one copy for a lot of people, like I think, again, like 80, 90% of people never managed to sell a copy. But then to get to the stage where you're at and you're climbing the ranks and obviously you're making some amount of income from the from the book royalties, do you, do you find that when people are asking you how did you become an author what's it like to be an author do you find that there are a lot of misconceptions as to what it's actually like and how many twists and turns that journey can actually take yes there's huge misconceptions i would say the biggest one is probably the pay um i try to make my book as cheap literally as cheap as possible because it's my debut. I want to gain a reader base now before I can sure. increase, you know, my sale price. Um, but even with selling thousands and thousands and thousands of copies, um, I'm no JK Rowling. And I think people often think they're like, Oh, whoa, like mm. yeah, your books in Barnes Noble. I'm like, yes, it is. But I still have, have another source of income. Um, yeah. really when it for, especially for fiction authors, you don't make it big to where like you're golden. All you can do is write for the rest of your life until your book has turned into a film adaption. That is mm -hmm. really when it's like you've made it. Um, yeah. And I do hope for that one day that would be like amazing. Um, the other misconception, yeah, would be the process. It takes forever the publication process. And it's not just like, I wrote it and here it is, boo boo, here it is. Like, uh, no, like <laughs> it takes months and months and months of your own money, right? Yeah. And your own investments of editing and artwork and networking and marketing. And it is so much more than just like writing the novel. And I feel like that's probably another misconception as well. A hundred percent. I mean, can you give us a rough like timeline? How long did it take to write like first draft? And then how long did it take from that point to actually get published? So from my very first day writing to the date of my publication was 14 months. Wow. Okay. That's considerable amount of work. And obviously throughout the process, you're not getting paid for that. You're probably paying other people. 
I thankfully had some amazing people who were very generous with me in this process. So my investments weren't overly large into this novel, I would say, compared sure. to probably most. I'm very lucky, like for beta readers and editors and even artists, um, which I'm thankful for. But yeah, it is a long process. So. <laughs> <laughs> how, um, how did it feel when you got published? Terrifying. <laughs> uh, I was expecting like a giant celebration and you're like terrifying. Absolutely mortifying. I mean, <laughs> mortifying. Great. Like, no one's going to want to become an author after this. It's terrifying and mortifying. <laughs> I didn't sleep for like a week <laughs> because my TikTok following is where I gained my reader base. My book okay. novel and idea went viral on TikTok, and that is where I gained all of my readers. And many of them pre ordered the book. So we're buying the book to re release mm -hmm. week. So I knew like, oh my gosh, all these people are reading it for the first time and you have no idea what the response is going to be like. Nobody owes me yeah. a positive response. And my beta yep. readers, you know, like they're, I feel like they're going to be nice. I'm like, you know, it's different. Like, cause it's more of a relational thing where I'm messaging my beta readers back and forth and we're communicating with one another, but yeah. just some random person in some part of the world that I've never met before reading my book, who knows? Right. And I've never, I've never written anything before. I never did creative writing. I've never taken a creative writing class in my life. Um, I'm not, I've never taken, I've, I've ma I majored in marketing. I didn't major in English or writing. Yeah. Literally, I just wrote this book because I had, the, I just wanted to. And so I had no clue. I was so nervous because I had so many people, people's eyes watching me, waiting to see, will this be her downfall? Or will this be one of her biggest successes? And I didn't know at the time. And it was terrifying. But how does it feel? I got that. It sounds like that was a, a rough, a rough period of time, just anxiety ridden. But you're holding it in your hand. I mean, did you ever take the time to just look at it and go, Wow, I'm a I'm a published author. And people <laughs> around the world are actually People who I never knew, right? This is the thing. It's not friends and family buying your mm -hmm. book to kind of do you a favor. Some random people, like yes. in a Barnes and Noble, maybe across the world, looks at the cover and goes, ooh, that's interesting. I haven't heard of this author before. Turns it over, probably reads the pricey on the back and goes, I'm going to give this a go. And then puts money down and then goes and spends a time to read at least part of the book. Has mm -hmm. it ever just struck you across your mind like, that's pretty crazy? Because it it's is. It's absolutely crazy. And like I said, I don't know if this was before our interview started, but sometimes I look at this and like, I just like weird. I like have like an identity crisis where I'm like, did I actually write this? Like this is mine. Um, and it's, it's wild, especially with the readers worldwide. I mean, I have readers everywhere, Germany, mm. Egypt, Australia, Canada, South America, Mexico, everywhere. And I'll get DMs a lot. Uh, I read your book. Like it changed my life. I totally connected with with Rhea, my main character. Like she inspired me to like move on from my trauma, and like she was just such a strong, courageous woman. Like I loved this, and it got me back into reading. And like that makes the fourteen months. That makes the bad reviews. That makes all the days where I wanted to give up and just throw this away worth it. 
when I get messages like that from readers who I obviously don't know and will probably never yeah. see, <laughs> yeah. but it makes it worth it. And it, it encourages me to keep continuing in my writing journey. How many times were you tempted to give up in those 14 months? <sighs> I mean, there were periods where I went weeks without even touching the book. Right. Um, but <laughs> because I was like, I'm going to write a book. And people were like, mm-hmm, yeah, let's yeah. see how that goes, including like mm. some of my family members or friends were like, yeah, yeah, we'll believe it when you see it. That was almost my one of my main motivating factors for the Got times it. where I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm way over my head. Like, how am I yeah. gonna finish this? I'm like, at, I'm at this many thousands of words. I have a plot hole, how do I fix it? Like, I'm not qualified for this. Like, I'm just, me like i'm just this regular person writing this complex high fantasy medieval world um yeah. but yeah it was a motivating factor where people didn't think i could do it that made me want to do it even more to say yes even if it failed even if it was terrible even if not a single soul read it i could still say i wrote this i published it here it is yeah. i did it so. good for you then you can show what the <laughs> all the all the naysayers i did it yes, <laughs> got published exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, it, it's a good way to light the fire under your butt, so to speak. I wouldn't say it's the best, like long-term, like motivation is to prove the haters wrong, but it can give a little boost from <laughs> time to time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now you mentioned TikTok. Now I know one of one of your TikTok handles are is readers are hot. Yes. Now I'm, I I know that that must be slightly tongue in cheek, but for me there is this. I think there's a preconception that people who read at least back. Because I, I read a lot when I was in school, primary school. Like when I was like nine or ten, I was reading like Isaac Asimov. And you know, you're talking about like pages, books probably as thick as yours. And I was just devouring them. I'd go to the library at lunchtime. And I still had friends. But I would love escaping into a fantasy world. And just yes. if there's something about that that was much more interesting than doing math class, you know, for the 5,000th time that year. Um, but read it there was this misconception readers are nerds right and you can say that nerd nerd is now cool no chic exactly you know gaming etc but are there do you still think there's out there like a misconception as to people who read a lot uh are nerds wearing thick glasses or they're pale and they spend all their time indoors and they're not sporty uh, yes. And I, that is part of the reason why I <laughs> made that my handle because I had readers are hot before I even had the idea to write a book. That was just my, handle. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Um, and before I was a, an author, like a, what is it called? Like, I don't, can't remember the term, the term, but I was a book talker. Um, so mm -hmm. I created book content all about my favorite books and reviews and like, oh, wow. okay, yeah. like bookish humor. Um, and so that was why, and I never wanted to change my handle. People were like, why don't you change it to your first and last name? Like, yeah, yeah. that's your author name. But I'm like, that is my true roots. Like I am a yeah. writer because I was a reader first. Um, yeah. and I pour so much of my love reading into my writing. Uh, and I didn't want to change it. And it's also empowering in that way because yeah, growing up when I was in middle school, these were my friends. Mm. These were the people that I hung out with. I was not like in these cliques. I was like on online school and I like transferred all the time. Um, and it was seen as weird. Like when I would go to it, like it's lunch at school and everyone's eating and I'm reading my book. Got a book. Um, yeah. 
Right. And it is looked at as more of like a nerdy hobby, even today, like going yeah. on dates, like, oh, you're a reader, so you're kind of a nerd. I'm like, okay, if that's what you qualify as a nerd, then yeah, I guess yeah. I am. Um, but you know what? I'm also hot because readers are hot, all readers, yeah. because we are powerful and intelligent and creative, and there's just so much more depth to a reader. And I always, I, I don't know, I think it's an attractive quality to say you love to read books, no matter the genre, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, um, poetry, anything. Um, because a lot of people actually, weirdly enough, pride themselves on hating books. Like, like, oh, I haven't read a book since I was in the fifth grade. And I'm like, am I supposed to clap for you now? Like, <laughs> what kind of reaction were you expecting from me? Um, but no, and I, I didn't want it to see as encouraging because, you know, sometimes people think it's weird to nerd out or fandom over certain things. But whatever it is for you, maybe it's not books. Maybe it's movies, maybe it's video games, maybe it's sports, yeah. whatever it is. Like, you should feel comfortable enough to showcase your love for something to the world, make it public. Say, oh my gosh, this brings me so much joy. This brings me community. I can connect with readers from all over the world, and I absolutely love it, and I'm not ashamed of it. I think it's funny when people just assume that going from reading or writing to say that you're a nerd, because we had this, I don't know if you've ever heard this term. But we had this term in school called meatheads, as in your head's made of meat. And that's someone who would play a lot of sport and then would never read a book. Um, and that just immediately popped into mind. If you accuse me of being a nerd, it's like, oh, so you, you're a meathead. Like, you've, you've never read a book. And I don't, I mean, reading and writing, there's something to be said about how powerful it is in the world. I mean, you know, your athletic prowess might leave you at some stage as we all get older. But your reading and writing skills can get sharper and sharper with age the more you do um readers are hot i just said did, i'm wondering if writers are hot is taken i mean you could take that as well start up a <laughs> second I account should. oh it's actually such a great idea hmm I have to ponder I, that one. Hopefully, it's not taken. Maybe I'll make it. No, I, I think you should. I think you should grab that that <laughs> one as well and start that one because reading is one thing, and then writing is a, is a completely separate beast, as you well know. Um, we, you mentioned uh, film adaptations, and I did want to hop on that. So, obviously, the, the the thing that keeps recurring is if you read a book and you see a movie, like which one's better? And people almost always, I think it's probably eighty ninety percent, they always say the book right. is better. And there's a certain practicality to that. Obviously, in a book, you can, there's no length limit. Um, and you can write in detail as much as you want, go into whatever you want. And there's no cutting, there's no editing, like a film director would do necessarily. I mean, you, the author, you can edit. Um, a film adaptation, how far have the cogs in your head been turning as in terms of that is something that we would like to someday you know, see like not J.K. Rowling, but Victoria Vredevogue. I was also going to say, if you change your TikTok handle to your name, no one be able to spell it. So I think readers are hot is actually a much smarter TikTok handle. But have you ever <laughs> given any thought to, you know, like that sort of thing, Victoria Vredevogue presents? Oh I mean, that would be the dream. I've, I've gone to bed and I've dreamt about stuff like that. It, it's hard to imagine. Um, but nothing is impossible and people underestimate the power of readers, right? Mm. Because yeah. readers are the reasons why mm. books are turned into films. It's because there are so many people who love the novel and push it, right? And so yeah. then a producer will pick it up because there's such a large reader fan base. So 
I always say like, oh man, if if I had like one of my books or this series potentially, or maybe one way down the road, have the ability to turn into a film, then I would have known I made it as an author because I had so many readers that had my back. Um, That would be a dream. And it is easier now for writers to have screen adaptions because Mm. there are just so many streaming platforms and just, it's not just the cinema anymore. Um, So it is more, it's very rare, but it's more of a possibility for me now. And I, I don't know. I do have friends in the film industry and they are having their first series um, filmed and produced this summer on a streaming channel called Tubi, which is like brand mm-hmm. new. I think they had it. I know you're in Australia, but they had like this crazy commercial during the Super Bowl. Um, wow. But okay. I was, it's, it's really about connections too, right? So I, I'm trying to make connections just in yep. the film industry for when the time comes where I'm like, okay. Do I want to proceed and see if I can get this adapted mm. into a film or a series? Well, I guess, I mean, the question is, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, right? you know, if you fail, then no one need know. And if you succeed, then suddenly everyone's going to be able to pronounce your last name. <laughs> unless, you des- unless you decide to change it because just because, you know, no one can pronounce it. Um, have you any, given any thought to, okay, the characters in your story, who you would like to play them? Oh gosh, that is a question I've never got before and have never really? thought about. Really? Yes. You thought of like a film adaptation, a screen adaptation, and you haven't gone, who would I like no, to play? Because so you got I a think... strong female lead. Like yes. you got a you haven't? Really? Wow. Okay. No, be- because it's it's I think about it so far in the future, like ten years from now, and I, I just never know like Yeah, but if you keep who... it if you if you set your intention now and that but person the, happens the to cross your path. Like, Oh, true. The actors will be a different age. You know what? I wouldn't be opposed to having um, debut actors like nice. there. Yes, I would be. I would be very interested in that because I would love if my book made it big into a series or a TV, a TV show or yeah. a movie. Um, I would love for my actors to be then associated with this. Right, going forward. Oh, that's the actor from. A Legend of Golden Shadows, just like when we think yeah. of like Harry Potter, right? Daniel exactly, Radcliffe. Exactly, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, no one knew who Daniel Radcliffe was, and now he's right. like one of the and biggest movie stars. Yes, but he's always going to be Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. Yeah, always. Um, yeah. so that I don't know. I would definitely be open to that, to the idea, because I was a debut. I was just this is my first brand new thing. People had to put faith in me when they read this book. I would like to put faith in a, an actor who is wanting to fulfill their dream as well. I love that because it's like paying it forward, isn't it? Because breaking into acting is one of the hardest industries yes. to break into. Um, and you're right, Harry Potter made Daniel Radcliffe, uh, Daniel Radcliffe, Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, all those people made them household names. I will say it's a bit difficult now for me to see Daniel Radcliffe doing anything else and not seeing Harry Potter like he was in Now You Can See Me. I was watching Now You Can See Me too. I think yes, that's the name I of just watched that the other right? day too. I was like, yeah, oh, I was watching that. Harry Potter's in this. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's playing like quite an evil, like manipulative character. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, 
but aren't you Harry Potter? In the back of my head, it's like, even though I know it's like, that's not Harry Potter, it's Daniel Radcliffe, who's an actual actor who's playing a role. But in my head, it's just going, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, Harry Potter. <laughs> why, why is he being so evil? Like something, something's gone wrong. Um, I can't believe you never thought of that, though. I thought you would have had someone lined up, but I, I, guess, I guess it makes sense. And I do love the, um, if, you, if you cast someone who's a relative unknown and they can grow with your series, then you can really help them out. Um, I, I, I was trolling through your internet, um, through your social media presence, because I, I like doing research on, on my interviewees. And I've seen some shorts that you've posted up of your acting, right? I'm, I'm thinking Bonnie and Clyde. Did you do a Bonnie and Clyde short? I did. I did a couple shorts. Um, I was into acting for a bit, and those are my friends who are now getting their film into the Tubi. Um, It was more of just something that I did for fun, and I did to help them out. I grew up doing acting, more musical theater than Mm -hmm. film, and those film adaptions was my very first time doing any kind of film acting, which is so different from stage acting like wildly different and it is so fun i love it um but you're right it's so hard to get into like i i would Mm. love to do more of it but arizona is not the best place for actors you gotta be in like la or atlanta um to really like have those opportunities Mm. but they're so fun and i mean if i lived another life in a different dimension a different world Maybe I would chase that, but I don't know. For now, it's more just like a hobby for me. Would you put yourself in your own film adaptation as a cameo, like a Stan Lee? Oh, you know? yes. Yes. <laughs> that I have thought about. That I have thought about. <laughs> okay. And I will definitely be doing that. Like, I'll just be like in the background, like just walking by. Like, there's a huge masquerade balls uh, chapter. It's like one of the biggest turning points in this yeah. novel would love to just see like one of the dancers just in the back people have asked me like and said would you want to play Rhiannon who is the lead female mm-hmm. character and I I usually say no because I always say I don't think I could do her justice and I want her mm. to just be perfect um and I want to have just the right character because as much as myself is in Rhiannon um I am not her and she's yeah. not me and people yeah. ask her, like, is she like, is that you? Like, I'm like, there are like, experiences and emotions that I've pulled from my life and put put into her, but we're not the same. Like, she is yeah. Rhea, and I, I, I think I'd want to see Rhea play Rhea, whoever that may be in the future. Yeah, I get, I get that answer because I mean, also writing. Th- th- there's something different between being a writer and being an actor. And I think, for example, J.K. Rowling had cast herself in the movie prominently. I, I don't think it would have been quite the same. I think when you when you write the character, you have you write parts of yourself into it, right? But it doesn't yes. mean that that's necessarily me. I mean, some people do that, but it doesn't sound like you've done that um, for yourself. I mean, who who are the most formative like writing influences on your life? You read a, a heck of a lot growing up. Mm-hmm. So, who for yourself are your favorite authors? Your biggest influences? I have two. One is my like childhood one, and one is the one that I really like aspire to be now the first one is it sounds basic and it kind of is but it's suzanne collins the author of the hunger games um i used to hate reading growing up like believe it or not i would spark note my book reports i would forge my parents signatures on the reading logs like i was not about it like you could (laughs) i could not pick up a book like i was doing terrible in english class 
Um, and like I said earlier, I moved around schools a lot. So I was trying like my hardest to make friends and a girl in the grade above me, this is like when I was in like the fifth grade at the time or sixth grade, she was reading um, The Hunger Games. And this is the same mm. copy that I had when I was 12 years old, 11 years old. Um, and she was like, you have to read this. Like, I really like this book. Like, you would love it. And I was like, you in my head. But I was like, I want you. a friend. <laughs> I want a friend. So I said, yes. I was like, okay, okay. I'll read this book. And this is the book that made me fall in love with reading. And it was then that I realized I don't think I ever hated reading. I just hadn't yet discovered what I love to read. And I think that that's yeah. true for everyone. Everybody's personalities are different when it comes to genres. And that's why I fell in love with fantasy and dystopian. Um, so if it wasn't for Suzanne Collins, I would never have written this book. I would have never fallen in love with reading. Um, but today, my favorite authors are of this series called Zodiac Academy, and they're actually sisters. And the reason I love them so much is because they are self-published authors, mm -hmm. and their books are huge now. And they've had so many um, publishing agencies try and reach out to them and buy the rights to their stuff, um, but they're just not having it. They want to have complete control over their ideas, yep. their characters, their adaptions. And I really like look up to that. And they have yeah. this incredible Facebook reader group, which I'm a part of, <laughs> where there's like 70,000 people in that group, just in the group. That's not counting the people who've read, read their books. And all they do is write. They have, I don't even know how many books at this point, like 20, 30, 40 books. Um, and it's inspiring because they're, I remember when I saw their novel before mine was published, when I was just thinking about writing, I never thought it was possible to see my book in Barnes and Noble as mm. a self-published author. But I remember I walked past and I was like, is that Zodiac Academy? Because I had read that before and I was like, Zodiac Academy in Barnes and Noble? How is this possible? It's self-published. Um, and it was because their name got so big, right? That Barnes and yeah. Noble then purchased them. And yep. the same thing's happening with my book in TikTok. My book is in Barnes and Noble now because of that. And it was, I was, it was just very inspiring to me. And I would love to have a, committed amazing fan base that these two women have created with their style of writing and it's i pulled a lot of it's different this is a very different fantasy this is low fantasy so think modern day reminds mm -hmm. medieval high fantasy whole new earth world um but i did pull a lot from their novels and the in the way where they write from first person pov just like i do and they inspired me a lot in just the way that characters think and operate. And they're incredible. Um, I just love them. And they're authentic and real in the things that they post. And they're just like, they're just regular people who are making entire worlds out of nothing from their brain. And it's inspiring. So I love them. Those cool. are my two authors. <laughs> Caroline I'm Peckham making... and Suzanne Valenti. Sorry, I should have mentioned Caroline Peckham and Suzanne Valenti. I, I love the fact that they're making the world a better place. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? You, you, you're a writer or an author, and then you create this world, and people want to escape in it, and they're happier when they escape into the world that you created. And that, that's saying something, because bringing joy to anyone, no matter what you're doing, is, is saying something. I do find it somewhat ironic that you hated reading so much growing up, mm -hmm. and now you are an author. That's slightly yeah. ironic. It is. My fourth grade teacher never would have thought. Never would have thought. <laughs> 
They say they say Americans don't get irony. Um, I this is a just a silly, a quick question maybe, but the title and the cover design. Um, I find it one of the most exciting parts of writing a book is what you're going to title it, and then the mm-hmm. cover design. Just I, I got I do nonfiction, but for a fantasy book, I have to imagine, and obviously you can answer for yourself, but I have to imagine the cover for a fantasy book. I don't know how many edits or how many you know sort of um, concepts you have but obviously you'd want the cover to evoke some sort of feeling it's not just a sterile like non-fiction business book and then you went the extra which I really love by the way the dust the dust jacket being different to the actual cover because I didn't even know that was possible doing self-publishing I don't think I can do that it's just it's either on the dust jacket or it's on the cover but they have to be the same so what was the process for a the title and then b the cover the title I thought of the very first day I had the idea for the book. Nice. Um, and it's interesting now when I'm writing book two, not a clue. And I thought about it. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, what am I going to do? Do I keep the same like structure? Like, um, but the reason I had this, I have the title in the book, like written in there, like towards the end of the book. So when mm-hmm. people read it, they're like, but the cover itself I wanted it to be different and eye-catching to where a lot of young adult fantasy fantasy romance novels typically have people on the cover um, mm. say like someone with like a, a oh shoot do I have an example um, sure let's take let's take this right here's a classic example of a young adult fantasy like people on the cover um like very just dramatic and i wanted something that was like what does this mean why are Mm. their hands here right why what are these like well they're golden shadows but one of these like golden swirlies everywhere um and these stars like what is there's just hidden messages in the in the cover um i have a very very talented friend her name is caroline and I had this vision. I was like, I, I really want like these, who, which is Rhea and Bennett, um, like their hands reaching towards each other. And I want this. And she actually sketched out the most beautiful cover. And it was, wow. I saw it and I was like, yes, that is act, that is exactly it. Yeah. Can I please use this? Yeah. And yeah. she's like, please, please do. And so then I took her like rough sketch idea and brought it to a professional digital artist. Yeah who's yeah. then able to take that and create this. So I firstly I'm hugely jealous of people who can do that like the artists I'm to, like when they can just sketch something and they bring the idea you have in your head and you've been str- like I can't draw to save I my can't life. Either. Like, you know like stick figures is a is is a big push yeah, for me. <laughs> but but when when you tell like when you tell someone and they just sketch it and you're like oh my god like how did you do that? I I can't like I'm very jealous of that. I am too. Um, but it's interesting because the cover, your cover to me, obviously it's a bit more esoteric or a bit more like you don't have people there. So it's more about like evoking your feelings, I think. And for me, two hands reaching for one another, but they haven't touched. They're still separated. I think that evokes a lot of interesting emotions because I think it's all that, you know, reaching for someone that you care about, um, but they're just out of reach. And that I think that cover is more thought-provoking perhaps, than just putting someone on the cover where it's a bit more obvious. It's like your imagination can do more work 
it can fill in the blanks sort of the vaguer that you leave it or the more clues you leave behind i mean i really love that cover and i say that as someone who's not huge into like cover design because as i said i'm not an artistic bone in my body but um whoever your friend is the art artistic one get yeah get get them a beer or <laughs> buy them lots of coffees or something because that's someone that you want to hold on to because i mean yeah, the professional yeah. artists respect obviously their skill there but for me, I think art's always in the inspiration, the creativity. Same with, with the idea for your book, right? A lot of it comes down to how good is the initial idea that you have. And I don't think, and I'll get your input on this, people talk about scheduling writing time, right? And the way to get a book done is to sit down at the same time, write. Now, I think once you have an idea, that's one thing. But I don't know if you can schedule creativity. And yeah. I, I like there's 50-50 on the divide. On Some people say, yes, you absolutely can. You just sit down and eventually something good will come out. I'm more like, no, I'll go and do some gardening, I'll go for a run, I'll go for a walk, or I'll go on a long drive, and then suddenly, boom, like you said, you're at the salon, and then the idea hits you like a ton of bricks. I'm more subscribed to that's how creativity happens. So where do you sit on this? You can schedule creativity, or you just don't know when it's going to happen. Um, a little bit of both. So as I transition into this next phase of my life in a couple of weeks where I'm going to be writing full time, because uh, I got to as the book continues to progress, I have to become more committed to the second novel because yep. people are like, where is it, where is it? Um, so yes, it's I will be kind of forcing myself to write from this time to this time every single day. However, there are days where your creativity is on fire or something will yeah. happen where you're like in the shower and you're like, oh my gosh. It's always in the shower. It's this always in the shower. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, but I'm like, it's like, 10 p.m. at night. I'm like, it does not matter. <laughs> doesn't I matter. have to get this down right now or I will forget. And then those are the spurs where you can just write. Mm. I can write more in like 30 minutes with a huge creative idea than say like three hours just like yep. sitting there trying to think of something. So it's like it's like both. As a full-time writer, you kind of have to. Of but course, yeah. your best writing comes in those creative sparks. And that's when you yeah. really just got to go. Even if it's at one in the morning, you're like, oh my gosh, it's one in the morning. Are you kidding me? Now I have this amazing idea. Too bad. I got to get up and start writing. <laughs> well, I don't, it's like um, the old saying, like rarely does a good idea interrupt you. And I think when you get that spark or from whoever it is, God or the universe, it's like, it doesn't matter if it's 1am, you got to act on it now. Otherwise it's yeah. gone. I mean, it got so bad for me, bad in inverted commas, because it always happens to me in the shower. That's where inspiration tends yes. to strike. Either that or in on long drives. And those are the worst because you're in the shower, you got soap in your eye and you're like, you have this really great idea and you want to write it down. But you know, you, 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 I mean, you're not wearing any clothes, you're wet and you got soap in your eye. I, I used to start taking whiteboard markers into the shower so that if I had a great idea, I'd write it on the glass before that I is forgot. So smart. Um, and and then when I was driving, I would just pull over. It wouldn't matter, like on a giant highway, I'd pull over and just voice memo it. I just and all you need is like three or four words just to get that same yep. spark. You don't need to outline the whole idea, but it's weird. Inspiration strikes you at the weirdest time. I get what you're saying. Like you schedule in the writing time. That's kind of you have to do. That's like your day day job now. Like you do that. Mm -hmm. But the inspiration, that that spark, I, I don't think there's any way to schedule it. I think you just no. need to let your mind wander and then hope that something yes. hits um, is, as you're drinking yes. your, your coffee. How, how many coffees um, 
I mean, you said the book is 120,000 pages, uh, 120,000 words, 120,000 pages, 120. I just gave you, it gave everyone chills, 120,000 pages. Could you imagine? Um, how many? No, I don't want to. Uh, how many coffees did it take to write the book? How many coffees are we having to get this done? Who? I have no idea. I really... I don't even know. Can't count anymore. Oh, on, on, probably over a hundred at least. Probably a couple hundred. Like in the span of just writing my first book, <laughs> that's like ones that I probably like paid for and didn't even make it home. So. <laughs> <Damn me. laughs> How many? Um, what? What's the coffee choice of a successful author? Well, during that time, I was really into. Okay, it was kind of a <laughs> very odd order. It was four shots of espresso over ice in a venti cup with this cold foam on top. Um, that was what I ordered from Starbucks. That was like my go-to drink when I was first writing this book. But now I kind of like to explore and I love try like drinking something different every day because I feel like mm. like drinking something different, ordering something different, going to a new coffee shop, all of those yeah. things, changing your environment, sparking it sparks creativity. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. I'll drink matcha, sometimes I'll drink chai, sometimes I'll drink iced tea, hot coffee, lattes, whatever. I I don't I like everything. So okay. it's whatever I'm really in the mood for that day. <laughs> I'm kind of happy that you moved away from the four espresso shots because that just sounds like a heart attack waiting to happen. I don't yeah. know. How, how, how quickly can you type after four espresso <laughs> shots? I mean, come on. It's just like this. Is like this. I, the caffeine, it never, it's interesting. At that time, it didn't really affect me. It was like drinking water. I was like, I just thought it was so tasty. Um, it, <laughs> but maybe yeah, it was the adrenaline I got from the, from the espresso that made me just <laughs> write my book for hours. That's a slightly worrying sign if four espressos doesn't give you a kick in the pants, so to speak. So <laughs> some, something has gone very, very wrong there. I've um, backed off of caffeine since then, though. Backed off. That's probably a good thing, just so you have some longevity. <laughs> longevity in this field. You don't burn out um, too early. But, um, I mean, we should mention the fact that you are doing a pageant. We've spent an hour, over an hour <laughs> discussing your book, which I don't regret at all because... You know, I think pageantry really is where you go to show off who you are, and obviously, writing is is who you are. You you are an author. I don't know. First and foremost, you're many things, but obviously, that's part of your identity. So that's fine. But um, UNM Palm Desert, 2023. I looked at the dates today. You guys are competing over the Fourth of July weekend, so that's yes. something. Um, but you spent a decade in pageantry so how did you get this is normally the question i lead off with and i normally hit it by about the second minute two and we're now like one <laughs> hour and ten minutes in and i'm finally asking about pageantry how did you get involved in the world of pageantry uh i begged my mom for years to let me compete uh she would not let me she was super anti-pageantry and then finally one day she was said okay because we had a friend in theater who was a director of a pageant for oh, yeah. but it's called cinderella that was my very first pageant when i was 12 and my mom was like that's the only one we're done a decade later that didn't really work out and i actually yeah. last weekend i judged that very same pageant that i competed in 10 years ago <laughs> 
which was the spark of it all. So yeah, a decade of pageants, that is definitely part of my identity too. I've, I, interestingly enough, I didn't, I was terrible. <laughs> I was so bad. <laughs> I mean, not really interesting. I feel like nobody's good at them right away, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't make the top 10 at a state pageant until my like sixth year competing. Wow, um, okay. Yes, it was a super long process to where now I've just grown so much. And I feel like the reason really behind that was is because I was not being myself, which sounds so cliche, but I was I so pageant patty. I was, I was like, I, and truly I look back at my younger self who, who wanted it so bad, like, and tried so hard. I was just trying to be somebody else mm. um, and not really growing on me and like what I really believe in, what I would do if I actually won, right? I wasn't thinking about those things. Um, but oddly enough, it was Sarah Rose Summers, Miss USA 2018, who was the person who stopped me from quitting pageants in uh, July of 2019. So in July of 2019, I competed for USA National Team. It was after I won my very first state title. That was my very first national pageant. I placed in the top six and I was mind blown. I was like, <gasps> the top six? Me? I was like praying to make the top 15. I was mm. raging. And after that, I was like, I can retire. I was like, top six, great. I'm moving on. Okay. <laughs> and it was Sarah Simmers that said, no, you have a spark inside of you. I see a national title in you. Please don't quit now. Keep trying. Mm. Um, and at the, at, she still is, but at the time, she was like my idol. Like, I was... Oh my gosh, like the fact that she was even talking to me, I was like fangirling hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then I went on to compete in National All-American team. Four months later, I was first runner up there. Um, and then I can started to consistently place a top five at every single national pageant um, leading up from that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like it was because she believed in me where then I was able to then believe in myself, where yeah. then I was able to actually have the judges then believe in me and start to do better. Um, just not better, but like started to place better. Um, yeah. And it was because I was missing that spark. I was, miss I, wasn't I was missing Victoria. And now I can mm. compete um, as her. And I, I still have that dream. Sarah Summer saw it in me. I still see it in me. It has been my tenure dream to be a national title holder. I pray that... It is my time as a multi-national runner-upper. I consider myself the president of the runner-up club. <laughs> I, I know my time will come. Um, I cannot give up now. Like, 12-year-old Victoria, I cannot let her down. I've come too far. I, I got to see this dream come to fruition. Even if I'm competing in... Mrs. Senior pageants when I am 70 years old. I will. I will win a national title one of these days. Like, I cannot give up. That is my pageant journey history. Wise. That was kind of a long answer, but just some background oh, on what it. my pageant journey has looked like. So.
Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to need to wait until you're 70 somehow. <laughs> I, I think I think you'll either see your name up in lights with the film adaptation or and or preferably and but or have a national title long, long before then. Um I mean, the, one of the one of the questions people people love to ask, judges love to ask, is you know, what are your plans w- with the title? And for most people, especially if they have a nine to five job, it's like, well, I'll be working my job. Obviously, I'm busy doing that, and then on the side, you'd be doing a lot of advocacy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I always love talking to people who are a bit, we'll call it odd or weird, because I always find that those are the, the those are the best people. Now, you just said that you're transitioning to being a like a full time writer. Yeah. Um, and then if you were to have the title, what what is a typical day for you going to look like? Because obviously writing is not a nine to five. I mean, you could structure it like that. But as we already said, you could have inspiration hit you at one in the morning and then suddenly you're one to five a.m. you're writing. So what do you think a typical, is there going to be such a thing as a typical day for Victoria if she's writing full time and she's got the title? What's that going to look like? You know, I don't, I don't know, but I'd love to find out. And I feel like because I'm a writer, I do have more freedom with the title. Mm. And because that that is my dream, that has been my lifelong dream, um, that that will be like my life for that year. Mm. Um, and I, it's, it's exciting to even think about, but it, I would be able to balance it well, having more of like the flexibility side of having a creative job. Um, because, you know, with pageants, there's a lot of times where your events are really last minute. Like, can you come mm. to this event this day? Yeah. You know, it, there definitely are things that are booked out far in advance, but not always. Um, yeah. And so that gives me a little bit of freedom to do that. And if I were to win, when I do win in the future at some point in my life, hopefully, because I want this so bad and I've wanted it for so long, I will take every single opportunity and it, I can get that year. I want to make the absolute most of it do every possible thing that I can um, and really soak, soak that up. So, yeah, I don't know what a day will look like. I don't know. There's, I don't know. Maybe, I, don't I always know say I would love to write, I would love to write a nonfiction book um, just about like my journey in pageantry. I, I always was thinking about calling it like Miss Runner Up, Will I Ever Be Enough? And more of just like, not really a devotional, but like a self-reflection kind of book. Mm. And thinking like, you know, where does your worth come from? Because at the end of the day, I may never win a national title. It may yeah. not be in the cards for me. And I have yeah. to be okay with that and know that although that is my dream, it is not my identity at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and just something like that. Because in pageants, there's one winner. Most everybody yeah. does not win. Um, and I feel like that could be a book that pageant girls relate to. And there's not really anything out there that's like it. Um, just like a sense of encouragement, something not, you know, 400 page fantasy novel, um, but something just more from the heart and something more like a, a reflection kind of book. But that's just something that's been on my mind. So maybe I could do some kind of writing as well, in addition to being a national title holder. Who knows? That that would be interesting. I mean, it it, it it's um, obviously in in your in what you've been doing. The theme that I'm seeing it's persistence. I mean, you've been doing pageants for ten years. That's a that's a long time to keep going without having the title, and yet you keep doing it. And then getting to the point where you're a published author. I mean, you and I both know that takes a lot of just 
persistence, you know, multiple times when you go, oh, this is not going to work, I can't do this. And sometimes it's very difficult to get help as well because you can feel quite alone because there aren't that many people out there trying to do what you're doing. Um, but you persisted through that and became a published author and now you're going into your second book and transitioning into full time. So I think that's really exciting. I mean, you know, in terms of what judges look for and directors look for, they want someone who isn't going to quit and take the easy way out um, at the first hurdle. So I think you've definitely proven that. But I, I, I like I like saying that the best way to succeed in pageantry is to create an amazing life outside of it. And mm -hmm. I, I, I love well the said. fact that you're so enthusiastic about what you do. I mean, we all love seeing someone who loves what they do. Um, it, it's silly, but I interviewed someone who's a cadet, so in the uh, Air Force over mm -hmm. in the UK, and she was talking about how to polish her shoes. And it's this really in-depth process as to how to do this, how to buff, how to apply. And you think, oh, that's so silly. But I love it because it's someone who's so good and spends so much time mastering one niche, niche, niche. Um, and then I put that on TikTok and Instagram. And it's had tens of thousands of views. Wow. Just people. Amazing. And she's just talking about how to polish shoes. But I think there's something people are fascinated with someone who masters a craft no matter what it is, whether it's pageantry or writing a fantasy book or whatever it is. Um, so I think that's really, really exciting. How are you, obviously you've had a decade, a decade's worth of experience. So coming up in just over two months, how are you feeling about the prep? Are you feeling centered? Do you still get jitters? How, how are we feeling? There's definitely a sense of pressure coming back as the first runner up. I feel like that's true for anybody. Yeah. Um, because it's, you know, you either win or you do worse it's than worse you did the year than before. before. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there is that sense of pressure, but there is also like a overwhelming sense of peace that I have going into this pageant that I did not have the year before. The year before, I almost didn't compete. Um, right. My wardrobe was borrowed. Um, I just, my head was not there, not in the game. Um, and I don't know why that is. I don't know what happened. It wasn't really until like maybe like a couple weeks before where I was like, oh my gosh, like I got to get my game on. Like it just, I just yeah. wasn't there. And it's interesting because he like, that has been my passion at that point for like nine years. And I was like, mm. I don't know what, I don't know. I guess there, there's phases in life and exactly. that was one of mine. So coming into it this year, um, I know that my heart and soul is really into this um and it's there and it's ready i feel i've i've never felt more ready for this um i have my dream wardrobe actually here <laughs> not borrowed um i'm at a stage in my life where like i i know i can handle it i i have all these plans um so i i feel i feel as good as i can go into it obviously you never know um but i feel hopeful i feel ready mm -hmm. and i feel i feel genuine excitement which is something that i was missing last year and yeah. could have been you know the the reasoning between like every everything i say it happens for a reason and is planned out right yeah. and that could have been my reason why and can encourage me now to be an example of trying one more time right um and going after it again and and being truly there like in your heart knowing like this is what you want um so maybe that that was why i did not win and reflecting on it and looking back i'm happy that i didn't win that year 
um, because during that phase of my life, I just was not, my head was not there, was not ready. Mm -hmm. But now, um, I came truly, fully appreciate it. And I, I just beaming with excitement at the thought of it. Um, but I'm hopeful and excited. So, yes. Sounds good. Excitement is definitely <laughs> preferable to nerves or apathy. Yes. So I, I got that. Um, sounds good. It's just two months away. Um, so yeah, going to look at it with excitement. I, um, we should probably do the final 10 questions. Otherwise I'm going to be sat here talking to you for, for forever. I mean, I, I love the idea of, of writing a book and, um, that, that's why we spoke for over an hour before we actually got to the topic of pageants, but just before we do the final 10, is there anyone that you'd like to give a shout out to for supporting you along your journey? Oh, well, I have to give a shout out to Bailey Guy, who I think actually gave me a shout out in her interview with you. She's who I would say my pageant bestie is. Um, we bonded over ice cream in a hotel room after NAM Nationals uh, one year. Um, Jacqueline Thomas, who is Miss Arizona 2019, my biggest pageant, not even my pageant, I would say just my biggest mentor. Um, Kristen Dalton Wolf, huge mentor on my pageant journey. Jackie B. Watson, huge mentor, and Kayla Watson, huge mentor in my pageant journey. I would, I there's there's so many like just in the pageant realm. Those are the four that come to mind. But I've had incredible support throughout these last ten years. Truly, like it is mind blowing, and I feel overwhelmed with love. Like no matter what happens, like in any pageant, I go home and feel like wow i had a group of people that had my back that are proud of me no, no matter what yeah. um and that is special and that's something that i don't want to take for granted so i'm very thankful for the support that i have i don't want it to just necessarily be pageant shout outs so oh. in terms of people who have read your book for example do you have a oh, message gosh. for your re do you have a message for your readers oh my readers i love you so much you guys are all hot um, you guys are amazing. You're intelligent. You're beautiful. You guys truly are like, you're like my, my family. I, I have a, uh, a discord with all of my readers in there and oh, yeah. cool. they are, I always say my readers are the best readers. I'm a little biased, maybe, but <laughs> I, I would not be here transitioning into being a full-time writer if it was not for my readers. And that is truth. It is because of them that I am able to do what I love. So. I thank you for that. I need to I need to get your book and I need to join your Discord. It's not very <laughs> yes. often I it's not very often I hear the words Discord server in a pageant interview. If I say Discord, <laughs> people are like people are like, what? This Discord? It's like yes, it's a thing. I, I have Discord on all the time as I said it's a bit of gaming and it's very you know, convenient to communicate with a with a yes. fan group. Um, but okay. Yeah. I, I need to get your book and join your Discord. You need to see if writers are hot. The handle is taken. I think that's your homework for from today. But let's zip through these final ten. I'll so, zip through it. I'll, I will have not super long answers because I'm I keep rambling a little bit. So I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's because I kept you on because I, I keep asking about different parts about the book because I'm genuinely fascinated by it. Um, having said that, I do think we're going to set a record for my longest ever interview. But that's. <gasps> That's oh my I, gosh, but I that's, feel so honored right now, though. Like, that's kind of an honor. Well, I Thank still you. feel like there's more things that I want to ask you about as well. It's not like I'm struggling to think of things. It's like, yeah, I still want to ask you more stuff. But anyway, maybe we need a part two after you become the next yes. the next J.K. Rowling or, or the first Victoria Vredevoke or if you oh, change your I name Oh, I love too. it. Um, okay, final 10. Number one, what is your favorite word? I love that facial expression. You weren't Favorite expecting that. Word? 
What is your favorite word? Probably Feel magical. free to look behind you. Magical. Yes, because that can be used okay. in so many different experiences in your life and can describe so many different things. Magical. Number two, what is your least favorite word? Um, probably like dirt. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's what comes to mind. I'm just trying to think of what's on the top of my head. I'm just going to okay? When, sure. when you get a chance, look back at the interview at this point and watch your facial expressions as you're thinking of the word. That's the funniest part of the whole thing. Um, number three, in life, what gets you excited? What turns you on? Creativity. Creativity in any fashion. Any fashion, whether it's writing, reading, even my poor attempts at art, uh, poetry, music, anything creative. Um, any of that, that gives me excitement, that gives me hope, that gives me fulfillment, anything creative. Number four, what turns you off? Ooh, um, comparison Com and competitiveness mm -hmm. and as to a certain aspect where it's like, I always like to say just because she's winning doesn't mean that you're losing in mm. like most cases of life. Um, so yeah, the comparison aspect, because you'll, it's always a thief of joy. I don't like that. I don't like when people compare themselves to me. I try not to compare myself to others. Life's not a race. We all have different stages of life that we're at. So there's just no point. It's the thief of joy. I do love that saying. Don't say it enough. Comparison is the thief of joy. Number five, what sound or noise do you love? I love sounds and noises. Um, there are so many. I'm like super, this is, I don't know if this is weird or appropriate to say, but I love I ASMR. Say ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> I live for that stuff. Like, oh no. There's like a, a channel on my Snapchat where it's like, just like sounds of like soap cutting and like slime. slime. Um, I love slime. I love white noise. I love the sound of water. I just love sounds. Like there's really not a sound that I don't enjoy, honestly, unless it's like bloody murder screaming, probably not that. Well, I'm hoping <laughs> that you don't hear that very often. I, I had a Thank friend you, who, I, I had a friend who kept getting me to, you know, go really close to this mic because I got one of these podcasting mics over here and she always wanted me to go close to the mic and whisper into it. I just found it the strangest <laughs> weirdest because it would come into it you in a certain way like oh my god like I, I can't i can't do this that was during you know covid when no one had anything better to do than um listen to strange noises <laughs> that is when um, my, that is when i first started listening to asmr was during covid it's probably why there you go but now you're hooked <laughs> um number six what sound or noise do you hate or is there one yeah there's not i guess like the screaming or like nails on a chalkboard Mm. Um, but other than that, I, I do enjoy sounds. I do. Okay. All right. I believe you. Uh, number seven, if you could have any one superpower, what would you pick and why? Teleportation. Teleportation without a doubt. I, I love to say that I love to travel. I just don't have the opportunities to do that. And with teleportation, hello, I could just be like, goodbye. I would be in Australia. We can just do an in-person interview right now. Um, it, without a doubt, I would do that without a doubt. That is why. So I could see the world. 
And like, I would love I, to be able to like touch somebody and they could teleport with me and we could go together. That would be kind of cool too. <laughs> but you're going to say, I can touch someone I don't like and just teleport them to the moon or something. <laughs> like, I don't mind. Bang, you're gone. This is this one star critic. Bang, bye bye. Enjoy the moon. Enjoy Mars. See you. <laughs> Who needs that Elon is Musk? the best. Okay, I'm, from now on, I'm changing my answer to that. Okay, that is just like a oh, side aspect to my superpower. I don't like you and I don't like you. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, okay. I love when I ask that question to someone and there's no hesitation. And you can just tell they put way too much thought into what superpower that you didn't even yes. hesitate. I barely I finished a question. You're question. straight. Oh, I asked someone I else that question and they, question. yeah, exactly. They had this answer and they basically said that this is the best answer. And if you have any other, like, and fight me on it, basically. She was like ready for a fight as to what the best superpower was. I'm like, you've given this some thought, haven't you? She's like, yeah. So um, she picked telekinesis, I think. So because her big thing was that she didn't want to get found out. So she was thinking that it's telekinesis, so you can move things with your mind. No one would ever know it was you. But I, I either go with teleportation or flying. I have recurring dreams about flying. So mm. one of the one or the one or the other. Um, but uh, let's move on. Number eight. What job or career would you most like to attempt? Wow. Besides the one that I'm currently trying to attempt, because it's interesting because this is my dream career. Um, it is, yeah. It is. I am trying to live my dream career. So other than being U.S. National Miss or being a big full-time author, um, my answer is I have no idea because I, cha <laughs> <laughs> I changed my mind all of the time. I changed my major five times in college. And I'm still <laughs> changing my mind. I'm debating on going to grad school for a completely different subject that I got my degree in. So I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> once, I, once I find out, it'll be a very special day because um, I've <laughs> become decisive in my life, which would be a first. So yeah, it, honestly, being an author, being a screenwriter, being J.K. Rowling, that's my dream. It's hilarious to me that it's quite possible that you could become, you know, hugely successful as an author and become USA National Miss and still not have any idea what to do in college. It's just like I, I still haven't graduated 20 years later because I still don't know what I'm doing. I'm onto my 567th major. I've tried everything and nothing's worked out. You know, yes, I'm in Hollywood and yes, all this, but I still haven't worked out what I want to do as my major. I'm like, maybe, maybe the major is not the problem. Maybe you don't actually need to finish. I'm just, you know, I'm just saying, because you, you said you didn't even like reading and now, now you're a published author. So like sometimes the, the path to success is not what you think it is. It's just completely random and we end up doing yes. things and we have no idea how we got there. But uh, how many majors? Five? So five. I did graduate. I graduated with my degree in marketing, but it, okay. I changed majors five times throughout my duration in school. And now you want to get go back and do another five? Like you do nine and you get um, the 10th one free or? <laughs> no, I want to go back for my graduate degree, which would be a two-year program. Right. Okay. Yep. Uh, that's, that's quite a few majors. Um, number nine, what job or career would you definitely not like to attempt? That's hard one. Um, you know what? When I was a graphic design major, I walked into class very first day. They said, everybody take out your sketchbooks. And I looked around like this. 
I've never owned a sketchbook in my life. I knew I was not in the right place. So because we had to go, I didn't realize graphic design was like actually drawing. I thought it was more like, you know, like websites and stuff. On the I don't computer. know why it was yeah, of that yeah. nature. So probably that because I have such horrid, horrid art, physical artistic ability um, that I would make zero money because nobody would want to hire me. And it would just be embarrassing to be a graphic designer because I'm so poorly skilled. Like I could, I can't even be taught. Like it is impossible i've tried watching the youtube videos they don't work okay so <laughs> probably that being an artist or a graphic designer the youtube videos don't work or you don't work i mean there's a difference here what, what would the, book, the youtube videos <laughs> what what would the cover of your book have looked like if you had had to design it yourself um it would look like a book that was never sold that would be what it would look like <laughs> Because hands, I got to say, you had the idea, hands are not the easiest thing to draw. I mean, nothing yeah. is easy to draw for me, but they're not the easiest thing to draw. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like a stick figure hand at the and stick and then like a sun in the middle or something. <laughs> I just said it with words. I didn't even attempt. I was like, okay, Caroline, this is what I'm thinking. Can you like design this and try and draw it? And she just did because she's super talented and amazing. I think yeah. shout out her too. She's not a pageant girl, but she is a big supporter in my writing. Well, that's all that matters. If she's supporting you and she's a human, give her a shout out. Um, final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done. Very nice. Um, random bonus question. Which, uh, which Harry Potter house are you in? I am in Slytherin. I'm a proud oh, Slytherin. as me. <gasps> I feel like we are so like Adrian. Seriously, I don't. Like, I don't understand that because I was at a pageant, right? This is a, and they're all going, "Oh, you know, what house are you? What house are you?" I'm like, "What? What are you talking about? Like, it's fiction." Like, and they go, "Oh no, but you can take this quiz online." So I was at a pageant. It was during the, you know, when they're sitting down. Not much has happened. The girls have come out and they're doing the judging. So you're waiting for what seems like five thousand years. And I did the quiz, and it's like Slytherin. I'm like, I thought I was confused because I thought that's bad. Doesn't that mean I'm evil? And apparently, no, it means you're like, well, what does it mean, actually? Why don't you tell me? Because I don't know what it means. I thought it meant you're evil. Yeah, and that's a big misconception because the characters in the Harry Potter series that are, like, the antagonists are in Slytherin. But you have to remember that's just, like, a one, like, five-year period. Doesn't mean all Slytherins are evil. Yeah. The most powerful wizard in the uh, Harry Potter series and world is a Slytherin, but um, Slytherins are competitive. They mm -hmm. are confident and they're natural born leaders. So those are like the main mm. like attributes of what a Slytherin would be. Yep. Okay. Good to know. That sounds like that has some crossover with my horoscope because I'm a Leo and I just yeah. get, get, keep getting told that's leader leadership. I think it's just because it's a lion, but anyway, fellow Slytherin. It's been a joy getting to speak to you. Um, we are now on one hour and 37 minutes, so we probably should leave it there. I feel like there's so many other things that I want to pick your brain about. But uh, Victoria, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. It has been a pleasure as well. Thank you so much for having me. And I will keep you on the line for just a second more whilst I hang out with the audience. But thanks to everyone for watching live on the replay. And we will speak to you next time. Bye bye for now. Hey, thanks so much for watching. Sorority Access is now open. So if you'd like to join an amazing group of women and learn how to be the most powerful, confident and impactful queen possible, head to the pageantsorority.com.
I'll see you there and see you in the next video.